It's not often that I would recommend to the congregation to go see a rated R movie. But this evening, I'm going to recommend one uh, because it's a very powerful, impactful, and I think most importantly, truthful examination of a very tough topic that our nation has grown numb to. The movie is called Unplanned, and if you haven't heard about it, you uh, likely either haven't been paying attention or just uh, are not a moviegoer. But in either of those two cases, I want to encourage you to look it up and uh, and find a time appropriate to you and, and go. There will be parts of it that will be hard to watch, and that's good. Uh, there will be parts of it that will be hard to see, also good. But the tough topic is dealt with in a way that is truthful, honest, but also compassionate and merciful. Uh, abortion is one of the great stains on our country and has been for a generation. And uh, just because it's existed for a long time doesn't mean we should be any uh, less numb to the realities of it. Pray for its ending and pay attention to the people that we elect and their views on it. It matters. And, uh, for that matter, uh, there was part of the film uh, that resonated with me because I knew what we were going to be talking about tonight. So, there's my movie recommendation, and I, I will say this. is certainly not appropriate for children. There's a reason it's rated R. There are some, some things that would make adults uncomfortable, but, but maybe it's time that adults get uncomfortable again. Uh, so if you if you are going, uh, you need to know that, and uh, I wouldn't uh, I would I would be very thoughtful and prayerful about uh, taking anyone younger than thirteen. Uh, but it, it certainly for any of you, if your parents are okay with that, uh, I think it would be something that you need to be aware of. In the movie, there is. Uh, of course, it's based on a true story about a young lady who um, starts out, goes on, uh, kind of meet up with her in college, and uh, hear a bit of her story, and and then uh, basically uh, has a couple of abortions, ends up volunteering at Planned Parenthood, and uh, works her way up to become director of that clinic. Now, um, there's that story, but there's there's a secondary story that, that the, the creators of the, the movie, uh, and, and this happened in real life, there was a pro-life group, a group of Christians who were not belligerent, who were not disrespectful, who were not intentionally seeking to get arrested, but they would, they would purposefully and intentionally stand outside of the clinic simply doing one thing, praying. And when women would come into the clinic, there were some, some women who mercifully and compassionately and with a great amount of sensitivity and compassion and yet truthfulness would seek to have a conversation with these women. Oh, I can't imagine a more courageous act. Uh, this particular young woman who was, uh, whose story takes up most of the movie uh, there is this back and forth between her and another believer, and she gets to know her name, she gets to know her story, and every time she sees her, uh, she makes a point 
to interact with her and to pray for her and to let her know that she, you know, that this is this is evil, uh, that, that, this, that abortion is evil, but that she wants to build a relationship with her. And I thought, what an unusual way. What what's what 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 a thing you do not hear about in the polarization of our world, where two people with very different views of the world, at least uh, at the point in the story where we meet these two women. And yet they are able to come together. And uh, it's that relationship, by the way, which, uh, well, I can't give the whole movie away, but that relationship is critical uh, to the change that's wrought in the, the heart of the, the woman in the story. So my question for you is, how many sinners do you know? Oh, I know you're a Sunday night crowd, and and you already well, you know, we are all sinners. I mean, I know that's not what I mean. I mean, godless people, people who do not worship God, do not care what God says. I, I mean, how many of those kind of people? And and I don't mean that you meet them at the store and you see them. And I mean, how many people who are godless do you have any? say, or speak, or influence in their life. I interact with a lot of God-believing, Christ-following people. Admittedly, full confession time, I have very few sinners in my life. That's not good. Yeah, obviously we need to approach this with uh, reason and thoughtfulness. I don't need to surround myself with them and take on their lifestyle and be influenced by them and all that. But, but it's not good that there's so few people that I'm not working to impact and influence who are, who are so far removed from what I already believe. Most of the people that I impact and influence, to a large degree, believe what I believe. Our story tonight will challenge us to think about the sinners in our lives, the people who are godless, the people who are rebelling from God, the people who don't know God. These are sinners. Those are the people, by the way, that Jesus came to seek and to save. And if God's people ever lose track of that, uh, we'll lose our ability to be salt and light. I turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, is our key text tonight. The story of the calling of Levi. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're going to learn about the calling of a sinful man. That sinful man became an apostle of Jesus, 
And that apostle of Jesus one of, wrote one of the four gospel accounts. From Levi's calling, there are four lessons we can learn, perhaps more, but the four I'm going to highlight tonight. Number one, Jesus called the followers to leave. Now, Luke shares the account of, of Levi, also called Matthew's calling. Obviously, Luke had a tendency to favor people uh, with four-letter names that begin with L. Uh, you know, he just would have had a natural bias there. But the, the difference between Levi and Matthew is that Levi was his name before Christ called him, and Matthew was his name after Christ called him. That wasn't uncommon. When, when a person made a covenant with God in the Old Testament, God would often rename them. Now, do we know that this happened in every single case? No, we don't. Obviously, the one example we know of is Simon Peter. But, but Levi, Matthew, uh, Luke shares this story as the calling of Levi. He's found at the tax collector booth, uh, according to uh, Mark, and this is a place where they collected the taxes and the fees and the tolls that we're all so fond of. Yes, that existed even in the first century. But a, a tax collector, a tax collector was two very different people. In, in one sense, a tax collector was a, a person of a great privilege, of great authority, and certainly with those things that usually come with privilege and authority, of great wealth. And it was because... Uh, the tax collector essentially had the ability to uh, impose at the point of uh, the Roman government holding the spear, uh, whatever he wanted to charge you was what you owed, whether or not that was the the tax or not. Many times, tax collectors uh, collected far beyond what was due unto Caesar. And, of course, they took all of the, the, they skimmed the excess off the top. Uh, there, there was a, a lot of advantages to being a tax collector. There was just one small downside, and that was this. Everyone hated you. Everyone considered you a traitor. A traitor to Israel, a traitor to your own people, a traitor to your country, working to, uh, for the pagans, helping the pagans continue to rule over God's people. Uh, but in a in a different sort of way, again, it was power, privilege, authority, wealth, but it was also being deeply despised. And so the tax collectors had their own little, you know, circle of people. And when Jesus said, you know, if you love those who love you, don't even the tax collectors do that, that was something that really would have made them think. Oh, because nobody wants to be like a tax collector. Those are the worst kind of people. I'm not sure who it is that you would consider to be the worst kind of people. But Jesus, in Jesus' day, it was the tax collectors. They were among the worst, the tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus called Levi to leave. Follow me, he said, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, think about this. I don't know if exactly, if it was just simply, come follow me, and Levi got up and and left, and and it was exactly, or if there were some other words exchanged in this transaction, but what is happening here is really quite unique when we think about, I mean, consider uh, what 
what did you leave to follow Jesus? You, I mean, you personally, what did you leave to follow Jesus? Uh, if I'm honest, uh, I didn't leave very much. I, I, I left my desire, I mean, not desire, I left my sin. I repented of that. I, I, I said I want to seek Jesus and do what he wants me to do. But my life didn't change to a great degree, is what, what I'm trying to say. Some of the, the people that Jesus called were called to leave, and that meant a changing, not just of their heart. It meant a ch- whole change in their life. A change for Levi would have included a change of his career, uh, his benefits, his security, his privilege, his authority. I mean, I mean, when Levi's leaving, you've got to understand it's more than just leaving the tax booth. It's more than just leaving here in this moment and walking. It's, it's leaving a whole sense of who he was. Now, in one sense, you think, well, that would be an easy thing to do if everybody in the world hated you. Wouldn't that be an easy position to leave? But you've got to remember, he's also leaving some other things, too. And so Jesus calls Levi to leave. And this leaving meant leaving everything. In fact, the original language here, the, the, the word for what's translated as leaving, is there's this totalitarian, like he, he left it all. We might say he... He burned the bridges. I mean, he just let, he just went all in, you might say. I mean, he, in a moment of decision, decided that what he had did not did, paled in comparison to everything that Jesus offered him. In Luke chapter 9, we'll study later, but Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow... And looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So I, I don't think that Levi was one of these guys that kind of tried to keep his feet on both sides of the fence. You know, I'll t- collect taxes uh, Monday through Wednesday. I'll follow Jesus Thursday uh, through Sunday. And, and I, you know, then I've got a little side revenue coming in. I kind of keep things going along. And I can, of course, obviously reach all the tax collectors that way. And then I can kind of follow Jesus. And sometimes maybe that's what we think fellowship has to do. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's not what it means to follow me. I'm a different kind of rabbi. Now, if we understand that, we understand that the deep, deep sadness that they felt that Friday when they watched Jesus crucified because they had left, as Peter would say, they had left everything to follow him. And now what were they supposed to do? Now where they were they supposed to go? Who were they supposed to follow? They had left everything to follow him, but he had left it. Well, that's another sermon uh, for another time. But say what you will about Levi. Levi followed. We, we, at least in, in, in Luke's account, we don't get a sense that, that, that Levi hemmed and hawed, made excuses, hesitated, uh, counted the cost, molded over, thought it over in his mind. Now, he, now he, he pulled the trigger and... and Come what may, he was going to follow Jesus. So then he called, the next group he called was the hungry to feast. Now, admittedly, if you've ever been fired before or left your job just immediately, uh, my guess is the first thing you have in mind to do next, like sort of the action item is not like, hey, let's have a huge dinner party, invite every, all my friends over. I mean, that's not the normal course of action. So, so we see here that Jesus had an impact on Levi in a way that was profound. Levi, 
Levi did not. Levi didn't follow Jesus secretly. He left everything to follow him, and then he invited all of his associates and his colleagues and fellow tax collectors to come to dinner. you got to meet this guy, and he's the reason I've left everything to follow him. Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Um, tax collectors were considered traitors. They were considered people, they were sinners were people who were considered disobedient to the law. So to a Jewish person, and certainly to the religious leaders of the day, these folks are bottom of the barrel. They don't care about God's law, or they're a traitor to God's people. Either way, it's not good, the tax collectors and the sinners, they would not have looked with favor upon this meal. They were especially critical of Jesus' choice to go to the meal. Why? Because, as you and I understand, a meal is a sign of relationship. A meal means a meeting together. You have many different people around the table, and you have a common, something in common. What would you have in common with these sort of people, Jesus? You rabbi, you teacher, you... I mean, and they knew who Jesus was. They had seen what Jesus had done. Their question now was there his, uh, who he chose to associate with, who he chose to share the table with, because the people he shared the table with were so vastly different from who he was and who they wanted him to be. Meal was fellowship in Jesus' day and, of course, in ours. That meal represented something. Uh, the Pharisees uh, grumbled, the scribes grumbled at what they were seeing. Perhaps, as one commentator said, perhaps even they stood outside because uh, Jews did not, it was... Uh, it was unseemly at best. It was sinful at worst to associate with Gentiles, to associate with sinners, to even go under the roof of a person who was godless. And so here's a whole house full of people, a table full of people, and, and perhaps the Pharisees and scribes are standing there outside grumbling about what Jesus is doing. Now, this was not the first time Jesus would be criticized for this. If you're caring to follow along, Luke chapter 7, uh, this was a criticism that they laid at Jesus' feet, <clears throat> which Jesus himself re- remarked about. He said, the, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, uh, the, the point that Jesus is making, which we'll get to in that, in that lesson, is their hypocrisy their lack of integrity. Because look at verse 33. What, did they, what was their criticism of John the Baptist? Ah, he's come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. That guy's crazy. He's out there in the wilderness by himself. You know, and they, they criticize John the Baptist for all these things, and then they come right over here and say, ah, but Jesus, I mean, Jesus is a glutton and drunkard. He hangs around with these, all these sinful people, these sinners and these tax collectors. You know, they could not be pleased. There might be a lesson 
for us in that as well. There are sometimes people that you will not be able to please. Even Jesus had those. The people who he was eating with, they were not uh, angry. They were not complaining. They were not griping. They were hungry. They were feasting on a meal, but they were seeking someone who sustained them, who gave them sustenance. I think Jesus said, if I, if I recall correctly, something about man does not live on bread alone. And so here comes a teacher teaching and associating with people that teachers and rabbis didn't normally teach and associate with. He left them alone. And so these people were spiritually starving. And Jesus was feeding them. Can you imagine uh, the profundity of that? That Jesus was feeding people who had never been fed and most often had been ignored. Not feeding them physically, you understand. He's, He's giving them morsels of God's truth and, and these are people who've never had that, or in all likelihood have never heard that. And Jesus shows us something about his heart in this calling. He then called a third group of people. He called the sick to be healthy. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Uh, we, we use the, the, the image of a table and, and people who are hungry, but now I want to take you to a hospital, a place full of sick people who are in need of one thing, and that's healing. And they're all different. They all have different backgrounds and stories, but they have a wound that is deeper than they know, caused by sin that they don't fully understand. And Jesus, the great physician, comes to heal the sick. Sometimes sick people can be stubborn. I'm not sure if you're one of these six people. one of these sick people. Um, Toby doesn't go to the doctor unless he's almost dead. Or dead. The last time I went to the doctor, she looked at her chart and she said, that's been seven years since I've seen you. (laughs) It must be serious. Um, That's the way some people are. Some, Some sick people do not want to get well by being healed by someone else. Some sick people just don't want to get well. Jesus Jesus addressed both. Helping the sick to understand their sickness and helping those who understood their sickness to get well again. Now, now when you think about this, it requires some things. When you go from, to, to go from being sick to being healthy is kind of a, a process, if you will. First, 
you have to acknowledge that you're sick. When Toby's sick, he basically shuts down and, and recluses himself into the bedroom and, and tries to just live off of fluids and, until he gets better. You know, when Christy gets sick, you know, she's got a household to run, so she kind of keeps it going. But um, there's a point at which in your sickness, you go, hmm, this is beyond me. And that requires a little bit of humility. To go to someone who's smarter than you, more educated than you, and knows what the cure is, and, and humble yourself and say, I'm sick, I need you to make me well. The second step of that is you have to be able to admit that you can't fix it yourself. You have to admit that you're too sick and that whatever you've tried hasn't worked. And that's, that's a greater level of humility. And then the third step is you have to trust the doctor. I realize there's WebMD and everybody's an expert and I got it. But but at some point, you have to trust the doctor that you see and trust that he or she has seen far more sick people than you and has some idea of what to do and how to do it. And part of that's the humility of saying, okay, trusting their diagnosis. And then you have to trust their remedy. And they might say, you know, I want you to take this antibiotic or I want you to do this do this, um, you have to trust that and follow that prescription. You know, if they give you a prescription for the medicine, and it says take it three times a day, and you think, well, you know, I'm tougher than that. I'll take six a day. You're not trusting the doctor. You're trusting yourself, and you're going to hurt yourself. And then finally, you have, to, you have to be willing to humble yourself and say, only the doctor knows. Only the physician can make me well. Now, knowing all of that, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to read a story of a different tax collector, maybe. Verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, and they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not un, uh, like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector stood far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be be exalted. Church should be a place that is not a museum for saints. Church is designed to be a hospital for the sick, the sinful, those who acknowledge that they are needing healing from the physician.
And, and, and we, I think, at Northside, admittedly from a biased view, I think do generally a good job of that. But sometimes it's necessary to do a heart check and to make sure our attitude and our heart is like the humble tax collector and not the Pharisee. He trusted that the Pharisee trusted in, in himself. He, he was really, his whole point was to say, God, really, uh, look how good I am. I appreciate how, how good you've made me. And the, the tax collector had a very different and more humble attitude. The sick have to come to a point of humility when they want to be healed. And the healed, the healed, this is important, the healed, if they truly understand the healing that's happened, should be about the process of bringing the sick, the rest of the sick, to see the great physician. And the fourth group that Jesus called is he called sinners to repentance. Jesus associated And this is what I find fascinating in the story of Luke and the other Gospels as well. Jesus associated with sinful people without condoning sinful ways. And I wish the Bible had just a little bit more detail on how he did that. I think that would be incredibly helpful. Self-righteous people do not understand their need for the physician. Only those who admit their sin and confess their sickness truly seek the physician. Uh, A person who's self-righteous cannot and indeed will not seek God. Because why would they? They've got self-righteousness. Levi, when he was called, had to be able to had to be able to admit to himself that what he had been doing had not been working. In the message version, this would be a Dr. Phil moment. How's that working out for you? There's a a song we used to sing at camp. It's an older song, but, but it's a good one. I say to you, I say to you, There will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Then ninety-nine, ninety-nine righteous persons who need no penitence. Jesus called those who were in sin to repentance. The misnomer with Jesus, I think, a lot of times we, we read through Luke 5 real fast, and we go, oh yeah, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus did not hang out with tax collectors and sinners in the sense of just sitting there and being okay and condoning their sin. It's like a doctor hanging out with sick people and just chatting it up there in the lobby. Oh yeah, I know you're dying, but I sure am glad to be with you. I'm glad we can kind of just chum around. That wasn't the sense in which Jesus, Jesus didn't hang out with anybody that way. Jesus changed every conversation. He transformed every meal, every event became a conversation around what is true. Jesus was a good teacher. He didn't just hang out with people. He was around them, but he also called them 
to something better than where they were. He called them to leave where they were, which to, at some point seems like a loss unless someone's calling you to leave for something far better. He called them to repentance. Remember the woman caught in adultery. Who condemns you? No one, sir. And then neither do I condemn you. And some people stop there, but they forget that Jesus said, go now and leave your life of sin. And Jesus called lots of people to leave, not because he was harsh, not because he wanted them to pay a great price, not because he was just being unnecessarily dictatorial, because Jesus called people to leave where they are that they might get to some place better. It was the same with Levi. It's the same with us. He calls us to repentance, and that repentance is so needed, so necessary. We run right past repentance. In this world where sorry, not sorry, in this world where no one makes an apology anymore, in this world where no one has the gall to, 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 to say I was wrong or I, I made a mistake or I erred. The Apostle Paul, I realize, did not write the book of Luke, but he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly grief produces repentance. And that repentance leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Jesus called people to leave, but he also called them to repent. To mourn over their sin. To mourn over the things which had separated them from God. And may we be a church where the sick can come for healing, where the sinner can be called to leave, where the sick can find healing through repentance, through confession, through Jesus. When we think about this calling, here is the way one uh, creative person pictured Luke 18. Bring the sound up and bring the lights down. All taxes must be paid in full! They're all Jews. How can they live with themselves? Our own people working for Rome. These people make me sick. Collaborators, let's move on. They're stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from them. Two men. Went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other one, a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, thieves, adulterers, 
or this tax collector. Not a tax collector. Didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector. Not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself for be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. to follow him. One has to wonder of the sins committed by his other followers. I always thought the merging of those two stories was well done. I don't know if it happened exactly that way or if that's just creative license, but I certainly understand that there was a reason that Jesus called Levi. There's a lesson for all of us to learn, not just for Levi, but for us too. So as we think about Levi's story, let me give you one lesson to think about as we close. May we seek the sick. As I said, I I spend a lot of time with people who know Jesus. And don't misunderstand, I love you. You are a big part of my life. But that's not who Jesus sought. He never stopped seeking and saving those who were lost. That was his whole mission, according to Luke. It was to seek and to save that which is lost. We must always remember, nay, we must never forget, to seek those who Jesus sought. Whether it was in crowd of thousands or just with his disciples or or just with the twelve, his heart never stopped seeking those who were hungry, who were sick, who needed to repent, who needed to leave. Jesus is the great physician, and if he is the great physician and the world is dying in sin, then why, oh why, are we content? with just hanging around with healthy people. In fact, my contention is that would make us sick from pride, from forgetfulness, from our own self-righteousness. No, may we never, ever lose the heart for those whom Jesus sought. Uh, think about it. Just, just think for just a second. Imagine, God forbid, something happened here in this auditorium tonight. I mean, someone had a serious medical condition, a heart attack, let's say. They just fell over right in the pew. And everybody's looking, concerned, and, and not knowing what to do. 
immediately what would be our, our, our first reaction. I mean, heads would turn to, to, to Dr. Babish, you know, get, 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 get this person to someone who can help them in a way that we cannot. But, I mean, we, how heartless and cruel would it be for someone to just keel over and us for just, oh, well. I mean, we think that's ridiculous. But we have to learn the lesson spiritually. There are people sick and dying all around us. People stepping into eternity that are not ready. May we always seek the people that Jesus sought and love the people as Jesus loved them. That was, he loved people where they were and he loved them far too much to leave them there. And so he called them away from where they were and into something far better. I realize that that's hard. I realize we don't live in a world that's always friendly to Christianity. But but if we believe that the, the world's sick and dying, and we know one who knows how to heal, then who are we to withhold the good news, the gospel, the medicine that saves the souls and the hearts of men and women all over the world? Some people said, the opposite of love is hate. No, that's not true. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. If we love people, we won't be indifferent to their spiritual condition, whether they're your family, your neighbors, your friends at school, your friends in wherever you are in life. Don't be indifferent. If you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And so the last thing in the world you could do is be indifferent at the thought of anyone, anyone going to hell. Jesus wasn't indifferent. That's why he called Levi. That's why he calls us. May we not forget the mission to seek and to save the lost, not ourselves. We're not seeking to bring them to us. We're seeking to bring them to Jesus. So... We've got to do that. We, we cannot save them ourselves. but We've got to always be seeking to lead them to Jesus. May we be on mission with Jesus to seek and to save that which is lost. Tonight, if you are lost, if you are spiritually hungry, if you're spiritually sick, if you're seeking, if there's something in your heart, in your life that you need to repent of, I'm going to offer an invitation that you might respond and say something needs to change. You might change perhaps like Levi did. Or maybe you've grown indifferent in your Christian walk. You're not too concerned about those who are sick or dying. And you need to repent of that or something needs to change. If we can pray with you and for you, encourage you in some public way tonight, I'd be glad to help you with that. If you have any need, please meet me down front together while we stand and sing.